Welcome to the NDE 4.0 podcast, where we ask five questions for a NDE or NDT expert. This is the show for NDE professionals where we dig into the big questions about NDE inspections and digital transformation. Every episode, we ask a NDT expert five questions that can help you do your job better. Today, we are honored to be speaking with Mary Beth Michelli. Mary Beth is the co-founder of the We NDT Marketing Network, a business consulting firm which also publishes NDTnow.com. Ms. Michelli is also the president and founder of Michelli Infrastructure Consulting, a company she founded in 2010 to help owners and emerging SHM and NDT technology providers work together to solve some of the biggest challenges in civil infrastructure. Additionally, Ms. Michelli has recently been appointed as the Executive Director of the Non-Destructive Testing Management Association, NDTMA. Ms. Michelli has over 25 years experience in NDT and structural health monitoring. She is a chartered engineer and a materials science engineer with experience in NDE research, technology commercialization, failure analysis, field assessments, and quality assurance. She's worked on projects such as fatigue analysis of the George Washington Bridge, the New York Mets baseball stadium, and condition assessment of the Empire State Building antenna, as well as various bridges around the world. Michelli is on the U.S. Federal Highway NDT Research Working Group and the National Academy of Sciences Field Testing of Bridges Committee. So with an incredible resume and a long history of experience, Welcome, Mary Beth, to Floodlight Software's NDE 4.0 podcast series, and thank you for, for participating in our program. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. Great, great. Uh, so as you know, our podcast poses five questions to an NDE 4.0 expert, and we focus those questions on the specific expertise of our guests. Mary Beth, with your extensive experience in infrastructure monitoring and assessment, you often help companies set their high-level strategies, and help them improve the effectiveness of their operations. Um, I'd like to start today with a general question so that our audience can better understand your expertise. So question number one for you is, um, what types of infrastructure require NDT inspections and what emerging NDE 4.0 technologies do you think are most relevant for ensuring the safety of that infrastructure? So, in my company, we mainly work on bridges, um, though we've worked on stadiums and, and other infrastructure. We mainly work on bridges, and for bridges, you only visual inspection is required every other year, unless it's a special bridge that's fatigue critical or scour critical structure. Um, then we have some NDT that's required. Um, so, in particular for bridges, access is an issue. Um, and so you have to send crews out to have, um, to do an inspection within arm's length. And so for bridges, the utilization of UAS, uh, unmanned aerial systems, and robotics has become increasingly important to augment live crews and increase the efficiency of these um, inspections, because many inspections have to happen every year. Um, and we have less and less funding for bridges. We've also seen, um, in terms of sort of more automated NDT and, um, and some, some structural health monitoring, we've seen some vehicular mounted uh, non-contact methods being utilized more often mm -hmm. now. 
Um, and so those are like ground penetrating radar or infrared thermography um, and even LIDAR. Uh, there are some companies that are utilizing um, LIDAR and GPR on um, drones or UAS. And um, so I, I think there's a, a lot more acceptance now seeing that um, there are such challenges with accessing bridges and civil infrastructure that we are starting to see more and more acceptance of these uh, UAS and robotic systems uh, on the structures. Additionally, I am looking towards the future, which is what do we do in our company all the time. And I, um, I could see a place for something like uh, autonomous vehicles and mm -hmm. mounting um, non-destructive testing, equipment on autonomous vehicles and being mm -hmm. able to utilize those to capture data on a regular basis. If you can imagine if every autonomous vehicle had some sort of LIDAR already on it and you could monitor the condition of roadways and bridges, the surface conditions on a regular basis without and and you know sort of a data dump every time they get near some sort of data node i think it would be mm -hmm. very cool to be able to um utilize a sort of an automated system like that that's a cool idea so what do you think about about sort of the cost difference between how we're doing things today and how we might be doing things in the future so with bridges um it's going to come down to regulations so currently, as I mentioned, they're only required to be inspected visually every other year. Um, and that could occur from the side of the bridge um, with binoculars. So we're comparing high-tech, really in-depth analysis um, with what we're, you know, it's very rudimentary inspection currently. Um, in fact, for most mm. bridge decks, they're still dragging chains across the bridge deck in order to listen for delamination. And then on the other side, you've got groups that are doing GPR and infrared thermography and um, doing data fusion in order to really analyze properly where delaminations are, where they're occurring in the depth of the deck, um, and how to do the maintenance on these areas more effectively. So as the equipment gets less and less expensive, as it gets more accepted into the industry and there's more people doing it, the price will come down. And at mm -hmm. some point you'll have to look at the full life cycle cost analysis of right. asset management and whether making the right fix at the right time in a more pointed manner um, outweighs the old school drag a chain across and mark it with mm -hmm. um, spray paint. So right, we're not right. there yet in the infrastructure world, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but that's what we're trying to get to. And that's why we do a lot of technology transfer from aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas into the bridge industry because um, once a technology is already proven in another industry, it makes it easier to transfer it into the bridge industry. Yeah, that makes sense. And just one final quick question before we move on to the next topic. And that is, I mean, you've mentioned that kind of how bridges are inspected today, visually, I guess, through binoculars once every other year. Do you think that's enough? 
<laughs> That's a complicated <laughs> question. So um, I think that bridges have a very high tolerance for deterioration and um, before failure. You, you almost always mm-hmm. have to have a perfect storm of a situation to get something like the I-35 West mm-hmm. collapse. Um, however, when you are starting to look at a full asset management system and seeing how you're spending the public's money, um, it, when you look at the life cycle cost analysis, you see that making the right fix at the right time utilizing technology to do that, whether that's through sensors and structural health monitoring to look at the deterioration of the structure, or whether that's using advanced non-destructive testing methods in order to pinpoint better where maintenance needs to occur, you start to see that you are being a better fiduciary of the public funding, public tax money, um, mm-hmm. by utilizing technology versus um, utilizing this visual inspection, which is, is um, fairly outdated. I mean, if you think about going to a doctor and the doctor looks at you and you say, well, I have a pain right here. And the doctor mm-hmm. just looks at you and goes, well, I, I don't see anything wrong. So I guess mm-hmm. everything's fine versus right. doing diagnostics tests. It's uh you start to realize that it's a, a little bit ridiculous that we treat our infrastructure that was built, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago like that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's um, move on to the second topic for you. Uh, one of the common fears I often hear about when discussing NDE 4.0 is the fear that these technological advances are going to eliminate jobs that humans are performing today. So for question two, how do you see roles changing as companies adopt advanced technologies such as automation and robotics? And what advice would you give to NDT practitioners that that might be worried about their own future opportunities? So when I think about NDT 4.0, I like to take a step in the middle, right? Where's the bridge from where we are now to the future? Mm -hmm. And so when we look at what has happened over the last 10 years with let's let's look at um phased array the phased array equipment now guides you through the setup and does a lot of the setup for you Mm -hmm. um on different screens right you just make a couple different choices and it does the setup for you so the technician is doing less of that setup work and more of the productivity of the actual inspection. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Um, The technician is now going to be doing a little more of the brain work, a little more of the, where are the problems that we need to look at with the robotics, with the automated systems? What kinds of problems are we looking for? And when I get data back that indicates a problem in a certain area, what does that mean? How do I need to inspect further? Is it a problem with the inspection system or is it a problem with the component? So I think technicians who are trained in different NDT methods are still going to have a role with these automated systems, with these robotic systems, but their decision-making is going to be at a higher level. So that is going to require some upskilling. So training on robotics, 
Um, but really, all of that training that they've had about where to look for problems, what are the problems that you could possibly see on a weld, um, all of that is going to be more important than the actual method of doing the test. So it's going to be a little more um, decision making, which is going mm -hmm. to make them more valuable because you can't just have somebody who runs robots doing an inspection because they don't mm -hmm. understand the physics of the method itself, of the component, of how that component is used in the overall um, structure or system, and what a failure in that area might mean for for the overall system. So I think there's going to be a, a, a change in roles, um, which also means a change in training for them. Mm -hmm. um, and if people are worried about that, you know, there's, there's a great guy on LinkedIn, and I, and I can't remember his name, but he talks about how he was an NDT technician, and that over the last couple of years, he really focused on um, becoming a pilot for UAS. And he talks about how much fun that has been for him, how it's reinvigorated his career. And because he has both skills, he's much more valuable to a services company or to an asset owner and can demand more money. So mm -hmm. NDT is one of those things where one of those careers where you are always learning something new. And to be able to learn something new and then demand more money for it, I think it's a win-win for everybody. But I think as soon as you stop learning, almost in any career, but really in NDT, you, you're, not, you're no longer growing. And um, life is more exciting, I think, when we're all yeah. growing and learning more. Yeah, and as you mentioned, you know, learning NDT is already a pretty, um, you know, tech, technical kind of um, learning. So it almost seems like, you know, learning some of these autonomous systems, like, like you mentioned, learning how to man a drone or man um, a, a, a UAS or something like that is really a, kind of a, almost a natural extension to what they're doing today. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think it'll make the inspections themselves, again, more productive. So yeah. you're spending less time doing more of the grunt work and more time doing sort of the high level um, inspection and you can get it done more quickly, which mm -hmm. um, again is more valuable for the company and especially sure. for level threes who own their own company, um, right. that should be particularly um, attractive to them. Yeah, so do you see that we could begin to be doing more inspections than down the road? Yes, and I think yeah. that the trend that we've seen where um, asset owners are requiring um, lower rates, I think we're going to see a balance of saying, well, we can get more inspection done in a certain time because there's only so low you can go with rates and right. with everybody competing against each other. Um, this is a way to bring more productivity uh, and, and still maintain the um, hourly rates for, for technicians. Right. So being able to 
basically justify the rates that they that you're currently getting. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, let's move to question number three for you, which is a topic that's heavy on everyone's minds these days, uh, COVID-19. So what do you see as the immediate and lasting effects of COVID-19 on the ND NDT industry? So this is a really great question because um, as of our recording this tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. my time, I will be speaking to the British Institute of Non-Destructive Testing as the president's honor lecture specifically about this. So what are the changes that we see from COVID-19 on the NDT industry and what are the lasting change that changes that are going to happen? And I think in general, what we're going to see so for so long, we have valued efficiency, 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 right? Lower rates, more productivity. And I think that we are going to see sort of a shift, a more balanced approach now where we're going to see more of an emphasis on resiliency. Mm -hmm. So people are going to now be able to justify expenditures into robotic systems, digitization, anything that that lends itself to being able to maintain throughput or being able to execute a business continuity plan in the face of something like a pandemic or, mm -hmm. or a natural disaster or a man-made disaster. Um, so people will be able to really push ahead with technological advances. And we've seen this over time throughout history of NDT. So World War II really pushed radiography out there. Um, the arms race and the space race, they really pushed UT and ET you know, into the forefront and helped them develop technologically. Um, but we are going to see this investment in robotic systems, automated systems, training of our personnel, right? They're, there was a tendency for a little while people didn't want to train their personnel because they would train them and then they would fear that they would leave. But now there's no choice. If we are moving in this direction with increased technology advancements, we have to train our people in order to be able to execute properly. And ultimately, that's going to lead to more efficiency of the company. But we will be able to justify those expenditures in order to increase the resiliency of the company and to be able to survive a time like COVID. Yeah, yeah. So do you think that the effects, uh, say, of COVID um, have been harder or more impactful on some types of organizations than others? Definitely. I think that um, companies that were already moving in the direction of automation, digitization, robotics, even some working remotely. Um, I think once we had limitations on workers that could get on site, outside workers, um, once we had, you know, conditions where we had to have split shifts, companies that had robotics and automation already uh, approved as part of their processes could maintain their throughput near normal levels. Whereas companies that did not have these already in place, that did not have their processes already improved, suddenly they were well behind. Um, 
you know, on some of these automated systems that are older, you've got companies that are still running like Windows 98 and Windows 2000 mm -hmm. because those were the approved processes and they didn't want to have to invest the money to get those reapproved as part of their automation system. Mm -hmm. And so now they're going to, and you know, and suddenly you can't access access that with the internet. You can't, <laughs> you know, there's right, right, all right. sorts of IT and, and other um, security issues. So people are now going to really have to do that investment. And the ones that had already taken a little bit of time and, and money to do those investments, they were well ahead of everybody else during this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've kind of heard the same thing. I've talked to quite a few uh, NDT companies over the last several months. And, you know, some of them have, have commented on either their, you know, the challenges that they've, they've run across, um, their customers that have been demanding that they limit the number of people that they have on site, for example. And for some companies, that's been a big challenge because they have, they just weren't prepared for it. Whereas, whereas other companies were, were better prepared and kind of handling that shift a little bit easier, just, just due to the way they've, they had been operating their businesses. Um, so it is, it is really interesting and kind of, I, it's almost like a, a silver lining in the COVID cloud to me is this, like you mentioned this as well, a, a, a greater acceptance of technology and how important it is for the future. Um, even though in a lot of cases, it's kind of, it, it might be sort of too late to offset the costs that we're dealing with today, but you know, there's gonna be some, something else that happens down the road. And I think we're seeing that companies are sort of more accepting of the fact that, geez, if I, if I make these investments today, I'm going to be better prepared for whatever occurs tomorrow. Um, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and we are going to see more volatile times. We just had a webinar on that um, with NDTMA and ASNT about how we are going to see more volatility just in our, in our lives with, with different, um, you know, disasters and, and, and yeah. pandemics. And certainly and, and, you know, if you think about pre-COVID, you had a sort of this smaller group of people that were talking about NDT 4.0 and Industry 4.0, and those were like the thought leaders and, and in emerging technologies. And mm -hmm. now it's much more accepted already just talking about it more and more, yeah. you know, obviously on your podcast, but, but elsewhere throughout the industry as well. Yep. Yeah, I've definitely seen an uptick. And of course, we've just recently gotten involved sort of in this, this movement or this, you know, this, this, this um, effort um, to, to bring NDE 4.0, really more awareness and just, you know, more discussion around it to help advance, advance it. And it's, you know, we're getting, you know, a lot of interest. And also, we're, we're seeing a lot of discussion outside of our podcast as well which is really nice so it's kind of you know I'm excited about that because it's you know it's a big reason why we put it together in the first place um, mm -hmm. so it's great to see so let's move into our question for today which which has to do with um, in industry differences to adopting NDE 4.0 technologies what makes it more challenging for some industries to adopt NDE 4.0 than others well and I think if you look at 
industries that were already starting to use automation, that were already mm -hmm. starting to use um, robotics, you know, aerospace, aviation, manufacturing, these are areas where you have repeatable components being manufactured, repeatable inspections, for the most part, known loading. Mm -hmm. um, so if you, if you compare that to bridges where you've got many, many different designs of bridges, you've got many different um, environmental conditions, whether it's, you know, corrosive environments or um, you've got various loads, whether it's tr overloaded trucks or seismic loading, or you have so many different variables that utilizing robotics on on a bridge would be much more difficult and the robotics would have to be much more customized for mm -hmm. the structures or a region of structures that you wanted to implement this on. And so from, from a standpoint of economics, you would, it would be much more difficult to justify the expenditure that would be necessary um, to accomplish this in a, in a way that would be meaningful to an inspection versus mm -hmm. with aerospace manufacturing, you've got a lot of um, known conditions and your variables are much less and you, your variables will help you see um, the, the defects or indications more clearly. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so that areas, the industries where there's more repeatable processes and maybe the defects are more, I guess, um, more expected. You sort of, there's, there's maybe an expected, um, mech, you know, there's just, there's an expected way that uh, certain equipment or, or components degrade over time. And so you kind of know what you're looking for ahead of time. Right. Makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. Predictability and failure mechanisms um, is, is huge. And to be able yeah. to know where to look and, and be able to design for that, because, you know, the robots are only as good as the programming. And so if your right. programming has a lot of variables, you're going to get less and less precision and accuracy. Right. And, and certainly when we talk about um, analytics and, and AI and machine learning, that's also the case, right? You sort of need a lot of data about consistent use cases in order to generate an algorithm that's going to, that's going to predictively, predictively provide correct results, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. So let's move to our final question today, which is how can the industry work together and most effectively to speed up the adoption of these critically emerging technologies? And what do you see as the biggest barriers? And how do you recommend that we break them down? So this is a really <laughs> good question. This is basically what I've spent my entire career working on. <laughs> um, you know, technology at this point is is advancing so quickly. I mean, if you look at the last 30 years, even, even 30 years ago compared to 20 years ago, to compared to 10 years ago, to compared to now, it's like light speed. We are pushing ahead from a technology standpoint so quickly. And 
we sort of discussed in the last question. It's all about standardization. It's about how do you use this technology on a consistent basis. Um, you know, we, we saw it in the 1970s with infrared thermography. People sort of oversold it uh, to asset owners. And because the technology had not yet been standardized in terms of usage, you had all sorts of people out there using the technology who maybe didn't know what they were doing or didn't know how to interpret the results. And ultimately, the technology itself got a bad reputation for being unreliable. Yeah. And in the last 20, 30 years, people have developed standardized, you know, these are the cut types of conditions that affect the results that you get with infrared thermography. And if you don't have a clear understanding of that, you will not get good results. And so the work done by Glenn Washer and others in the field have really helped that technology be more accepted into the, into the industry and into the various sectors, which is mm -hmm. super important. So you've got the standardization in terms of ASTM standards has to keep up with the technology advancement. And from that, you then have to have certification standards that keep up with the technology and the sort of ASTM standards of how to use the method. And then beyond that, then the training needs to keep up with the certification, which needs to keep up with the method usage. Mm -hmm. So you, you've got all these pieces that have to fit together in order to get the technology accepted on a widespread basis. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, you have people who maybe don't understand all of the physics of the technology or don't ex understand exactly how to execute the method um, and are not certified to do so. And suddenly the technology is bad. So mm -hmm. we all need to work together in order to develop these standards and specifications that will allow for consistent usage of a method in order to determine what that probability of detection is. What is the probability that we're going to be able to avoid failure with this type of technology? Mm -hmm. And where are the downfalls? Where are the potential pitfalls? Is it certification? Is it the use of the method? Is it training? Is it upskilling? And we all need to come together in order to push the technology forward. And that's really hard because a lot of these yeah. um, groups, ASTM, ASNT, a lot of them are dependent on volunteers. Mm -hmm. And the volunteers only have so much time. They're only usually on a normal basis. They're only meeting once or twice a year. Now they have it's much more acceptable to do a Zoom meeting and talk about standards and certifications. Um, but I, I don't see how volunteer work is going to keep up with the technology that's emerging so quickly. Um, and so yeah. it, we might come to a point where these bodies that are going to be making money off of selling standards or selling certification, um, you know, schemes to, to various companies, we might get to a point where they have to pay their volunteers in order to develop mm -hmm. these standards and specifications on a, um, in a more timely manner. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've talked to a few other 
NDE experts, and I've heard the same thing from from a couple of other folks I've talked to that standardization is really, really important. And without it, it's going to be very difficult to advance as an industry. And, you know, just as I was here listening to you talk, um, you know, something, you know, it, it's really just a lot of coordination between a lot of different people and a lot of different bodies. Do you, do you think that there are, and this, you know, do you think that there are any organizations that benefit from not standardizing? You know, I can definitely see the, the benefits of standardization, but whenever there's pushback, it's generally because, you know, is there somebody that's getting shut out of, of the process? You know, are there any, what are the sort of the, aside from the, the amount of work, and as you mentioned, you know, a lot of the volunteers are putting effort in to attempt to create these standards and it's really a lot of work and it's a lot of coordination. Aside from that, you know, the effort piece, you know, do you see any other barriers like people that people or organizations that actually don't want it to happen because it doesn't benefit them? Well, I think you will see that um, a little bit with the technology manufacturers, right? If you've got a proprietary mm -hmm. technology Sometimes you don't want it standardized because that way you're you're giving up some of your IP to potential competitors. Um, so yeah. that's the first group. Then there's the asset owners, and and you might think, what? Why yeah. wouldn't asset owners want it? But if they have a method that's more effective, that can increase their efficiency, um, and get they can get then gain an edge on their competition. There's there's a little bit of that go that goes on as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, oil and oil and gas they're pretty good at collaborating. They've got this group that um, sort of vets new technologies and they all put money into it. And it's mm -hmm. such a good model of how things should be done. Um, and so I think there's um, there will always be people who don't want to standardize because they will lose their competitive edge. But when we're talking about safety and saving people's lives or, or you know, pre pre preventing some sort of disaster, you just, you just can't do that. It's, yeah. uh, it's not what, what NDTers do. So it's, uh, um, hopefully mm -hmm. that will not be a barrier um, you know, it, moving forward. Yeah, hopefully that will win out, right? Yes. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Mary Beth. We have certainly learned a lot about NDT for infrastructure and just in general today. Um, so thank you, Mary Beth, for sharing your experience with us um, today. And thanks also to you listeners out there for tuning into this episode of Five Questions for an NDE 4.0 Expert. If you'd like to reach out and connect with Mary Beth, uh, we've got our contact information on our podcast page, so check it out. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time. For more expert views on NDT, subscribe to the Floodlight Software blog at floodlightsoft.com.